Well, good, <clears throat> good morning, good day, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever it may be for you. But this afternoon here at the Faith United Methodist Church, I stand here in this empty sanctuary except for the Lord. And I believe that God's presence is here and you are present uh, as you enjoy, I hope, and share in the Word of God. I'm going to read from the Gospel of St. Matthew. May Christ be in our thinking, in our speaking, and in our heart from the 16th chapter, the 13th verse through the 20th. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do you say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, but others Elijah, still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth we will be bound in heaven, Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he sternly ordered the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I know that there's a lot of talk about teams these days because everyone is wanting their team if it's a sports team, to be able to play. We want to watch them. We want to be a part of them. In our schools, we want our teams of teachers to be able to teach and students in teams to be able to learn. But we find different ways to make that happen in times like these. I like the idea of having team faith here today, but you're not able to be in the building right now. But we're going to talk about that in just a little bit. Where is the church and what is the church and what is our mission in this world? Team building can be a, a very good exercise if you're at a retreat, I know I've been to a lot of them and, and uh, everybody seemed like they were on the right page until, or on the same page until they got out of the retreat and then everybody went back on uh, team me. <laughs> so uh, we have a difficult time understanding uh, what it means to be part of a team what it means to be in the church, what it means to be a child of God, a, a strange team building exercise on 
uh, QuickBase blog uh, from an employee said their team sat through a two-hour exercise where they were instructed to visualize flying over the ocean to a mythical place called the Temple of the Dolphin and they were asked to watch dolphin videos and study the unique leadership skills of dolphins. The 10 most horrifying team building exercises. Put this on quick base. I never thought of dolphins being team builders, but if you watch them, they're pretty smart creatures, wouldn't you say? And we can be pretty smart and we can be also not so smart. Jesus, of course, was ahead of his time when it came to team building. He took his disciples off from time to time for retreats. And these retreats had nothing to do with the leadership skills of dolphins or learning to communicate with horses or puppies or kitties or any other kind of animal. These retreats were a time of prayer or conversation about the kingdom of God. Sometimes, however, Jesus took his disciples to a place outside their comfort zone. Such a place shows up in our lesson today from Matthew's Gospel. This unusual place was named Caesarea Philippi. You've heard the name before, Caesarea Philippi, which is an ancient Roman city known for its worship of foreign gods. There was a sacred cave at the entrance of Caesarea, and all around this cave were carved images filled with small statues of the various gods worshipped there. Gods like Hermes and Echo. The region was also full of pagan religious sites, many devoted to the god Pan. And Pan was half man, half goat, and half god, so to speak, or a god, little g, who had the ability to create a feeling of sudden and overwhelming fear in humans. It's the form that we get the word panic. Panic. I don't know if, if you study the origins of words very often at the spelling bees uh, that I've been a part of through the years and as part of uh, Georgia Association of Educators and local affiliates and every I was a caller one time the other times I was always in the uh, refereeing judging area making sure things were going and encouraging um, the uh, participants. But one thing I always noticed that every uh, speller would ask, what's the origin of that word? Can you give me a definition? Use it in a sentence, please. And they'd go on and they'd say, one more time, what's the origin? Latin, Greek, whatever. And so when we hear the word panic, what causes panic? We talk uh, in history uh, of the Great Depressions, uh, the financial panics, the financial collapses causes panic. There are people that 
feel that when they get in buildings and open places, haven't experienced those kinds of feelings before, I understand that kind of panic. That panic that you get when you wake up in the morning and you look at your clock and you wonder if you have time to even shower or get ready to be at work on time. And then sometimes you panic when you look at your bank account. You panic when you watch the news. You feel that overwhelming sense of anxiety that comes. So put yourself in the disciples' shoes. Jesus had led you to a place that makes you very uncomfortable. God does that sometimes. We don't particularly like it. Sometimes we have to get uncomfortable to learn. Sometimes we have to feel the stress of things. We're in a world right now that is in a sense of panic and not being comfortable with all that's going on. I know I'm not. And I'm sure you're not either. That there are things that make me uncomfortable. And I feel like, where's it all going? Are we all headed to some kind of civil war or race war or class war? Or are we going to be invaded by some foreign country? Or will our government collapse? Will things ever be as we have known it before? Will the church survive? We look at our own denomination, and we look at denomination after denomination in turmoil, splitting over different issues. That's always been true. Churches have split over hairs before. One issue, two issues. Just can't come to an agreement. Everybody's got to have it my way. Love that song, but it's a very narcissistic song. I did it my way. That's the way we are. That's the way we humans are. We want things our way. But having been raised in the Jewish faith, which revealed all forms of idolatry, you feel like a fish out of water in such a place that Jesus had these disciples at Caesarea Philippi, and they were looking at these idolatry. These, these statues, these images, these gods that represented so many things. Everywhere you look, you see evidence of shrines and statues and inscriptions of various pagan gods. And here they were, and you're confronted with abonition in every direction. Abomination, we think. How many times have we heard that word? As you began to stare at your sandals and avoid staring at the ungodly idols, Jesus makes a strange question to his disciples. Put yourself there. Who do you say the Son of Man is? Who do you say that I am? Can you hear his disciples sigh of relief? Oh, he's just taking an opinion poll, I suppose. So they answer, some say, some say you're John the Baptist. Interesting that he had been there and been beheaded. Jesus' cousin, he baptized him. 
Others say you're Elijah. And still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. We're not really sure who you are, Jesus, but uh, people have a lot of opinion of who you are. That's true today. People say a lot of things about Jesus. He's a good man. Some faiths say, say that Jesus uh, was a good man. He was a prophet. There are those parts of other faiths outside of Christianity that Jesus is mentioned and revered, but not seen as received. But even say that he will come and set the kingdom of God. If you study different religions, you'd be surprised what you'll find. Everyone has their own idea about Jesus. And they're all relatively positive ideas, of course. Nothing's wrong with being compared to some of Israel's greatest prophets. John the Baptist and Elijah and Jeremiah. All of those are pretty good. Unless, of course, you really are the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the Great I Am, the Son of the Living God, God in the flesh, God come down to earth to redeem humankind, to live, to be born of flesh, born of a virgin, to live, to die a horrible death, to teach us how to live, to be put on a cross, left alone, stripped naked on a cross, to suffer a horrible death, and not even have a grave to call its own. But the good news is the rose for our salvation and our justification. But Jesus doesn't correct his disciples. He just asks another question. But what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Jesus is just not making small talk. He's not just taking an opinion poll like very often we do. We, we read polls a lot and we try it in the political time that we're in. Everybody's eyes are on polls. But Jesus was wanting someone to know that they had to make a decision, that this was a time that they had to decide that those men that were with him, those women that were with him, had to decide, who is this Jesus? Who am I, Jesus says. What about you? Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter, in good fashion, always wanted to respond, you are the Messiah, he testifies, the Son of the living God. But Simon Peter doesn't realize it, but he's just stepped through a one-way door. He crossed the dividing line. Not just a good man. Not just a prophet. Not just a teacher. Not the rabbi. Not uh, someone that's going to uh, assist in other uh, kind of uh, ways throughout uh, the kingdom. Not just someone that they'll talk about and, and, and give good lessons about. But Simon crosses the dividing line and he announced that Jesus is the anointed one promised of God. 
to the nation of Israel. He is God in the flesh. I was sharing and have shared with some very good friends uh, the difference between Christianity and some others of other faiths. And when I would say those words that that's what we as Christians are supposed to believe, I mean, their eyes get big and almost, oh, don't say that. It's, it's almost blasphemous or as blasphemous. And so did the Jews. It's not some idol, not just some philosophy, but God in the flesh, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to Simon, with a smile on his face, no doubt, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven, by the Spirit. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, Petros, the rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell or Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom. And you can bind and you can loose in heaven and earth. And we don't really understand all of that means. But Jesus made an extraordinary statement there after Peter had made, Simon had made an extraordinary confession. And Jesus said, this is what church is about. We think of Pentecost as we are in this Pentecost season, the day of Pentecost that the Holy Spirit fell upon the group of Jesus followers and gave them the power to do ministry. We named that as the birthday of the Christian church. But the first time the church is mentioned in the Bible is in this passage, in this chapter, on the 18th verse. The moment is real, the birthday of the church, and notice how Jesus announced it, announced it, on this rock I will build my church. Not the church, not a church, but my church, Jesus says. This is Jesus' church, not my church, not Sid Chapman's church, not the people of the United Methodists or any other denomination or anybody outside of Christianity. But this church is the church of Jesus. The word used for church in Greek is Ecclesia, that term doesn't refer to a building. Ecclesia means a called out people. So Jesus is a casting his vision for his disciples. He's showing them that his ministry isn't just for this time or this place or this people where he was, but this ministry will continue long after his death. And his ministry will attract people from all over the world. His church is for all time and for all people. The word and that gospel, that good news has been proclaimed over 2,000 years and had been foretold for thousands of years. And it will continue be, to be told whether or not there's a United Methodist Church or a Baptist church or a Presbyterian church or any other kind of church, 
by any other kind of name, the true church of Jesus Christ will be forever if Jesus is telling the truth. If Jesus is who Jesus said he is. Jesus calls us to be light to the nations, to the world. In Matthew 5, 14 through 15, we read the words, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone. Light to everyone. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So what does that mean to you? What, what are the things that you do that let the light shine? I, I know I used to uh, have people say, you know, when you go away, be sure, my grandmother used to say, let your light shine. I kind of knew what she meant, but, you know, I wasn't really paying that much attention. And then suddenly when you find yourself in a situation that, uh, you know, goes against your beliefs or what you say you believe, you think, well, what about my life? And then you find yourself easier and easier and easier to forget about showing and having that light come forth. We get complacent we get really comfortable and I think that goes back to the original point that I was making of the trial and the trying time and what God does is make us uncomfortable sometimes and we feel like we're just going to panic because things are changing I you know, I'm over there playing the organ and I look out at this church and I love singing hymns and I love being with my people face to face and here we are in a time that we can't do that and we see so many changes going around what does it mean we know that very often that folks get caught in a situation that they really don't like we've all been there like i said i'm the biggest sinner i know <laughs> I, I i can't judge anyone so we all are caught in 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 a place in our lives where we have to decide, oh, we're going to let our light shine. It's not our light, it's the light of Jesus Christ to the world. And what does that mean? Is it just following a creed? Is it just saying a, a few things that we say that we believe? Well, Jesus, when he used the word, the Greek word there is ekklesia, it tends to put in a place of fellowship, of community, a community of love, of agape, higher love. You've heard me say that many times. Love of fellowship, brother and sister love, and, and, and so on, whatever kind of love that there is. But it's all governed by that higher love. You're in one mind, one spirit, one heart, and every other follower of Christ all over the world in their time is your brother and your sister. It doesn't matter the color of their skin or their culture. You know, I was listening to our church that 
meets here down in uh, the fellowship hall and they're still meeting and they're of another culture from another country and I was listening to it and I thought you know that sounds strange to me but I'm sure it's beautiful in the ears of God and that's what matters because you see we're songs in the key of life we're songs that that carry a song to God, the way that we live, the way that we love, the way that we commune with each other. We can't follow Christ and look out for our own self-interest all the time. And we can't follow Christ and look down on our fellow believers that don't worship and think just like we do. We're a community that spans well over 2,000 years and covers every nation, every color, every language, every nationality, every social class on earth and Jesus last prayer before his arrest and crucifixion was that we would all be one that we would all be one not that we would be divided over philosophy or what we think is a sin or what our interpretation of the Bible is and who is included in the church and who can preach and who can teach and who gets to sit at the right hand of Jesus. He didn't like that kind of business. Jesus wanted us to be one. I like that song that we sing many times and they'll know that we are Christians by our love. There's a story of a little boy, a little five-year-old boy <clears throat> who was adopted out of a foster care system in Michigan. And the child gets adopted and it was extraordinary when the foster parents told his kindergarten teacher that the adoption was gonna take place. The whole class decided that the teacher did, that they, she would take the class. And when they came to make the final decision before the judge, there were 39 five-year-olds waving red paper hearts in support of Michael. The judge said that even took the time to ask the children to share what Michael meant to them. What do your brothers and sisters mean to you? Because you see, we're all adopted. We're all brothers and sisters. When we become a follower of Jesus, we're adopted into the church. When we make our decision, when we like Peter and cross that threshold and say, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm not going to be perfect, of course. And I know I'm always going to stumble. And I know that I'm going to deal with different kinds of sins or whatever. Whoever you are, everybody's got their thing. But we're all pressed forward to be better people. Moving on toward perfection in love, as Mr. Wesley said, and that's what Jesus taught. But we belong to Jesus and we belong to each other. That's what is meant by the church. Jesus calls us to be a light for the nations. Whether or not we're meeting up here on this hill, in this sanctuary, we're still the church. And so finally, Jesus calls us to reach out to those who do not know him. Look again at Jesus' words in verse 18. And on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, will not overcome it. 
We can look through history and we can see that even under communist regimes like in China, oppressive in the 20th century, Christians met in cells and C-E-L-L-S, little groups. And then the Soviet Union and where Christianity was not legal and in communist China. In fact, you thought of that you must be insane. You, you worship a God that you cannot see, so you must be insane, so you need to be arrested. Unfortunately, many of our, our children are not aware that not everything good comes out of an oppression regime. We've got our problems, don't get me wrong. But we do have the right to think and let think and to worship or not worship. We've got bad history, but we've got really good history and a lot of good things in this country. And one of them, and one that I value, is the right of free speech and the right. You don't have to have any kind of faith or proclaim any kind of church. There is no state church, but there's also no prohibiting of it or exercising of faith. So it's a great idea. So we become the light to the world. You don't have to agree with us. You don't have to follow what we think. And we don't even all follow together what each other thinks. But we have the right to do so. Paul said in Romans in the passage this week to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, which is our spiritual worship. To be a sacrifice, a sweet-smelling fragrance to God. Something that's acceptable. That we've been called out to be light to the nations and to the world and to the community by our love. To reach out to those who do not know him. Are we the light? Are we the rock? Are we what we say that we want to be? We're not. Do we strive to be? We make feeble attempts. But may we be a little bit more I guess you could say serious about our faith, committed to our faith, committed to the one, to his church, not the building. Yeah, I love the building. Commit to keeping it going, keeping the meeting there when we can come back and keeping it nice, but committed to the community, the hungry, the poor, those in need, those who feel disenfranchised, those of every race, creed, from every nation, every language on this earth, this message belongs to everyone on this earth. That's what it means to be part of a winning team. That's Team Jesus. May we proclaim that faith today as we join together in the historic confession of our Christian faith, the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead and buried. 
The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. For there he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen and amen. Go in peace, go in grace, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.